podcast and play nobody. I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you lead this life. Remember, I get up later than I used to. Uh, what time did you get up this morning? About five. Five even? Yeah, I, got up at f- I got up at 5.15. I just okay. sent some emails and I had to f- I had to do a, a blogging that we'll talk about in a minute. Congratulations blog. on the blog, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, that's a web log. It's internet content. Uh, it, it doesn't take, you know, six months and, you know, thousands of dollars from travel. Um, I just did, I did some of the web logging this morning. I had to get up very, very early. I have non-interesting uh, child schedule issues going on with the start of school. I have not slept much. Um, I don't know how you do this. It really does lend credence to the fact that you might be a robot. I get my six hours a night. I don't know what more you really need. Do you really only sleep six hours a night? And then upon sleeping only six hours, do you, do you wake up feeling mentally alert? Uh, yeah, during the week six, I try to get close to seven or eight over the weekend. Um, and the kid's old enough to where the, she, you know, she'll let you. Um, but then I, I mean, I feel pretty damn crappy until I get the, like the first cup of coffee going and then I'm, then I'm good. Um, and then about four o'clock in the afternoon, I fade dramatically. I can go two hours having just, I mean, I have two kids. Uh, I still have, I still have technically an infant in this house. Like technically I'm, I'm no stranger to insomnia. You want to push it to the limit. Hey baby, we'll go. But this, this like nearly a full night sleep thing is way, way more harmful. I don't know why. I think it's the psychology of it. Uh, well, you know what? We could just continue on the, uh, the path of exciting dad chatter and sleep, but, uh, this is the old podcast. I play nobody. It's the old college football marriage of, uh, the numbers and the words, uh, the words, which I'm uh, struggling to put together right now as I, uh, have combined back to school season with multiple deadlines with um, just uh, just hardcore dad life, Bill Connolly. Hardcore. This is why your sentient human nature was uploaded into a robot exoskeleton years ago. I mean, it worked. It's worked pretty well. I'm not. No, no, no. I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm fine. I'm a little jealous. A little jealous. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Obviously, we are now in the two show format. You guys did great last week. Uh, we're very proud of you. Hashtag AskPAPN. Keep it coming. Uh, please check us out on Reddit as well. It's r slash PAPN. I have to get this stupid institutional out of my face, uh, mainly because of the literal stupid faces that are staring back at me right now. I need to read this because I'm, uh, for some reason, I, I tripped up earlier in the recording and we had to delete it because I said shut down full cast, which is a stupid, <laughs> stupid name thing instead of podcasting play nobody. So let's get this stupid institutional out of the way. Okay. Uh, Bill, do you like wasting money? Absolutely. Yeah, I bet. So yeah, I can think of a lot of, a lot cooler ways to do that. Um, I don't know, buy, buy like really nice baseball bats and hit yourself in the head outside. Maybe go to like a huff gasoline and hang out at a David Buster's. But uh, if you're really, really wanting to kill time and money and waste what, uh, what, you know, God's gift really, uh, you can spend $25 and you can go to shut down full cast live on August 31st. It is live for some godforsaken reason at the Ridge theater in Atlanta. That's in Midtown Atlanta, by the way. Uh, it's the same weekend as uh, dragon con. So <sighs> somehow so we I'm- created a dumber thing than dragon con. So I'm I'm worried because I'm landing at something like 12:30 in Atlanta on Friday. Uh, yeah, am I going to be able to get across town and get there by seven? Ooh, you're landing. Wow, we didn't even discuss this off the air. Wait, are you you're landing at, in in Hartsfield in Atlanta when? At like 12:30. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For a seven o'clock show, you'll be fine. So you killed my joke though. That that was supposed to be a joke, and then it made it seem like I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of dragons. Uh, try Marta. 
Yeah. Marty's actually not bad. Anyway. Stupid Ryan Nanny, stupid Spencer Hall, stupid Jason Kirk. They're stupid faces. Um, they will be uh, doing the shutdown full cast live, which I don't know. You could just scream into like an aluminum trash can for an hour. And I guess that, you know, it's about the same sort of audio quality and stimulation. Um, there's a ton of special guests. Myself, yourself, uh, Bud Elliott. Like everybody. Richard Johnson. Which really means um, no guests are special if everybody's there. But Well, I mean, look, it's just like having a bad stew. You have to keep putting quality ingredients in because the base layer is just spoiled bullion. Anyways, yeah, so that stupid live podcast is happening. Uh, Bill and I are going to show up to add both intelligence and perspective. Just class to join up a little <laughs> bit. Sure, obviously, yeah. obviously, I'm a television star. I had a television show made about me. Um, I have to lend my shine to this just crappy little donkey show that's going on in Atlanta. It's uh, August 31st. If you want tickets, you can go to eventbrite.com um, or you can just search shut down full casts, uh, throw in event, right? That's the fastest way to do it. Tickets are $25. Um, for some godforsaken reason, they're close to selling this thing out. So go ahead and get your tickets now. Again, if you like to waste money and really just, um, whew, you got too much free time if you do it, but yeah, you know, buy the ticket. I'm traveling to go to this thing. What does that say about me? Yeah, you really are. You got to change. Are you, wait, wait, Columbia goes straight to Atlanta? No, God, no. It goes to Chicago, which goes straight to Atlanta. Oh, my God. What's wrong with you people? I know. I'm flying out at like five to go to this thing. Look, Columbia, Missouri is not the South. I'm not saying that's the, in a bad way. I'm just saying you know we can transition in because we got a heap and helping of, of the old Southeastern Conference sure, coverage yeah. today. Um, I mean, look, flat out. I know we make our shtick on the G5 and really like just super, super obscure obtuse stuff, but sometimes you just got to lean in and play a lot of white snake because that's pretty much today's show. Um, Bill, you are done with how many previews now in the uh, March of death? Uh, I am. Well, technically I'm done with 129, but you've not read one of them yet because it'll go up tomorrow. But on the website, you can find 128 of my 130 team previews. Uh, after Auburn went up today, we've got Georgia on Wednesday. We've got Alabama on Thursday. We've got SEC power ranking Friday. Spoilers what? It's from last year. But yes, by the end of this week, you will have, uh, you will have all, what would that be? About 275,000 words uh, that you can choose to read, you know, over the weekend uh, to catch up on everything that has gone on in the uh, football off season. Uh, and then I believe that means our preview, our big preview stuff is going up next week, right? Uh, I think so. Um, okay. I'm writing some profiles that will go out actually after the preview. I know that yeah, doesn't that's make any, where I'm, I, that doesn't make any sense, this, but welcome to journalism. We're spreading this out a little more this year, which I kind of like, cause if we, the one problem with our like kind of magazine format that we've done in the past is like, it's easy to miss stuff. Um, so we have like one big kind of featurey idea tying all the preview together mm-hmm. and then we'll have some features coming out after that between now and the start of the season. Well, I like it cause there's no way I would have met those deadlines. Um, okay. So as we record this and go live on Tuesday, we're saying two previews, uh, both happen to be the national championship game participants. Uh, Bill, yep. we're going to talk about everything that we didn't talk about last week with the sec minus those two schools. So this is the sweet, sweet nougat of, hundreds of millions of dollars in athletic budgets and angst and despair over the fact that even though you probably win eight or nine games with some regularity, you are not Alabama or Georgia. This <laughs> Billiam Connolly is the madness. Sure. Um, we kind of 
I don't remember where we stopped last week. I know we shot right through Kentucky, uh, Vanderbilt, Tennessee. I don't know all the programs that are near me. Um, Arkansas, obviously year zero there. Um, I'm sick of talking about Ole Miss. I don't really want to do it and they're on probation. So it sucks for them. Um, the sweet, sweet nougat of insanity. These are the schools we we're talking about specifically. Okay. Sure. Uh, Louisiana state university. Okay. Mississippi state university, mm-hmm. Florida, Auburn. Yep. And then, uh, I did some bloggings this morning, as I mentioned in the earlier part of the show, this is called a callback. Uh, we could talk about South Carolina, both in a football sense. And I wrote it a little bit about, uh, angry mill Muschamp just being unable to, to tamp down his inner doofus. He's just like a really whiny Hulk, you know, like a really, that's not fair. Like it's like the Hulk that would get online and argue about politics in the comment section of a CNN article. That's Will Muschamp. Man, Does that work you, for you? You went with CNN too. You didn't even go with something like, you know, Oh man. Do you remember the old CNN comment section? It's oh. just abysmal. Just to prove positive, we should end this experiment. Um, Bill. Yep. I often am accused of saying Auburn is the sort of the core of the existential dread that may be giving short trips to LSU. Okay. And now I would like to add to that conversation, the one Florida Gators, Mm -hmm. Um, Florida being a completely different situation. And then rather than wail and beat their chests and, uh, you know, just act like a complete psychopath, Florida has sort of been labeled as having the ennui of the, uh, of the Southeastern conference, right? We always go back to like, Oh, Florida can't even sell out the sugar bowl ticket allotment versus Louisville. Oh, Florida doesn't care about going to the citrus bowl or whatever. New year's day bowl. Oh, Florida's home. You know, crowd is kind of tepid. Uh, it, it, this has been the expectation of like, wake me when we're past the 10th win. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's changing. It has to change. They've had multiple failed experiments in the wake of Urban Meyer. They now have sort of gone back to that. Eh, we'll talk about that in a second with Dan Mullen. But of the three, who's going to hate themselves the most in January? LSU fans, Auburn fans, Florida fans. I think usually the answer is LSU. Um, See, I think it's Auburn, but I'll hear you out. Well, I mean, Auburn is is – they have the highest ceiling. Therefore, maybe they'll have the most angst if they don't reach that ceiling. Yeah. But I think on average, LSU fans are always going to, uh, to win a nice, you know, self misery kind of, uh, kind of battle. They, they bring it. Mm. See, I think Florida belongs in this list cause they don't even know it yet. Um, Florida's still a, like, well, let's put it this way. The, the 38 Florida fans that we work with, um, are, are basically the Florida fans I know uh, with a few others t- uh, thrown in there, I guess. Uh, but the general tenor I get from them is just basically, ugh. like, they're I love not the even... Florida fans we work with too. Cause they all try all of them, all of them from the, from, from the very, very old to the very, very young that work for us. And there really are like, I don't know, 50, I don't know. It's just like a, some sort of migrant rodent that gets in your house. Uh, anyways, we have a lot of Florida graduates who work for us. All of them try so hard to be like college football hipsters but you're a florida fan that's like standing around at a nickelback concert talking about like the the a really cool built to spill album like you're you're a florida fan you can't be a football hipster that's not how this works like tim tebow it's a giant dave matthews song walking around hey hey (laughs) hey 
20th <laughs> the anniversary way. of my first Dave show uh, came and went, I think, yesterday, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to keep it on topic, but I'm just going to laugh about that later. Uh, Bill, Florida, Dan Mullen, again, LSU, Ed Orgeron, Auburn, still Gus Malzahn. I, I my my narrative thread fell apart on the third one. I was going to say, look at the weird situation that we're in that we didn't think we'd be in, but Gus Malzahn, I think it's just going to be at Auburn for like 20 more years. Um, well, I will say, like, I don't think Florida counts in this kind of misery, this sort of self No, they're thing. not going to be miserable yet. Right. I think... I think uh, like a year and change from now when they will almost certainly be out recruited by both Florida state and maybe even, or at least by Florida state, but maybe also Miami, maybe, I don't know. That's a bold thing to say. Well, they they are definitely being out recruited by Georgia. The landscape of the East has shifted in a way in which Florida is no longer just the, the pencil and favorite. Sure. You can't really be you can't really say presumptive favorite Florida anymore to win the East. But Dan Mullen, you know, took top 30 talent and created a top 20 product. You know, in theory, he doesn't need a top five recruiting class here. If he hits a certain goal of like top. I love that theory. I love that theory. And we'll get to Mississippi State in a second. But the funny thing that's happening in Mississippi State right now is that Joe Moorhead, the Yankee guy that no one really knew about came in as followed up Dan Mullen and without having coached a single game yet at Mississippi state is recruiting at a better clip than Dan Mullen did. That's true. And I uh, don't think, and we can ask, we'll, we'll get a Bud Elliott in here eventually to do this. I don't think that under any circumstances, because this is the university of Florida bill. And if you go nine and three, people are like, eh, we should just get rid of him. You can't go nine and three with a top 30 recruiting class at Florida and find satisfaction anywhere. If you're losing elite well, Floridian no, saying, players to saying, Florida State and Georgia and everywhere else, like you're out. I know, but I'm not saying he's going to sign a top 30 recruiting class at Florida. That's what he did at Mississippi State. He'll do a top 15 class on average at Florida, and if he gets top 15, he can be he can technically put together a top five or ten um, system, basically. So I mean, I mean, he should Florida itself should recruit itself better than Mississippi State did for him. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's a higher bar, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just can't worry. I know I'm supposed to worry. I know this is the off season. I know, you know, you got to beat your rivals for recruits, but I don't, I don't, I really struggle to give a crap about that in August. Let's put it that way. Because if you overachieve, you overachieve and it makes up a bunch of difference. So I know it's, it, it, it makes a big difference in the um, anxiety level of your fan base in the off season. But if you win, it doesn't matter and he'll have a chance to win. He'll definitely have a chance to win. I just don't know what's going to reignite that fan base, donor base, boosters, et cetera, because right now he's but not going to be. Well, that's not, I mean, good luck with that. Yeah. I think, that, look, if you really want to boil it down to hell with everything else and even Florida State, I think it comes down to the fact that they're about to realize that Georgia may have shifted the entire paradigm. Yeah. No, that's, that's a bigger thing to me than. Uh, they walk out of Jacksonville with a proper ass kicking. I mean, like, really get stomped. I think now things are going to settle in for them and they're going to understand that it's a new landscape. Right. No, I think that's the biggest issue here. That's a division rival. Um, it's it's something now that they, you know, Kirby Smart, like George, recruiting was never George's problem. Obviously, Kirby Smart has raised the bar in that regard, um, but they very, very much hit their, uh, they recruited at a top level the last couple of years and then they hit that level on the field last year. So that's, you know, the, 
it's it's not going to be losing so and so this kid from IMG to Florida State. It's going to be consistently getting your butt kicked and not even being able to think about an SEC East title for the next ten years. That's that's where uh, things are going to add up uh, against Mullen, so to speak. LSU, sure. Um, I think you nailed it. I think you got the entire zeitgeist in one tweet. Was it yesterday that you mentioned the? Uh the fact that you have an LSU product, a tangible LSU product you can look at and you can see talent and you can see success and you can see, I think a, a little bit more of a refortifying of depth. Um, Cause it was a little rockier transitioning between miles and Orgeron than maybe most people know. You got all that mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh, okay, man, that's like a serviceable, really good football team. And like, Oh, this is a football team. that's talented enough in a couple key places, even with the whole Matt Canada thing, notwithstanding all that. And then you look at the schedule. Here's the, um, here are the teams that, uh, well, here's their road slate um, with S and P plus projections. They play number 13 on a neutral field. They play at number five, at number 32, at number 52, which you would hope would be a win, but then at number 24, and they get number two, six, and 25 at home. Now, this is S&P Plus, and I understand that it's going to bump up SEC teams because recruiting rankings are part of the formula, and you don't have to believe that Ole Miss is going to be number 25 overall, although I think they are going to be quite a bit better than anybody's really expecting them to be, at least until, you know, like two guys get hurt and they realize, oh, crap, we have nothing but freshmen on the second string. Um, But it's just brutal. They are projected 16th at S&P Plus, which I think is about as high as you're going to see, and they're projected to go 7-5. and seven and five is trouble and i'm sure if i logically speak to lsu fans in in late november and say yeah but you're really a top 20 caliber team it's it's just it's just that mississippi state was a top 15 caliber team this year i'm sure they that'll settle them down they won't be mad about that at all Mm -hmm. that'll go for really well uh yeah this is the worst case scenario um in the best possible way for ed orgeron which is he didn't get a crater dan mullen gets a crater right? Jeremy Pruitt gets a continent sized crater. Um, I, I mean, actually I say that as a joke, but I mean, a lot of people have said, Hey, Butch had talent on the roster. He was bringing talent in. They were recruiting at a pretty good clip. I think there's just more systemic issue. Structure. Right, they, nobody developed. Nobody got better. Between yeah. freshman and senior. Um, but LSU really didn't have any of that, you know? I mean, the only person I think is in a tougher situation in terms of this season right now is Joe Moorhead of Mississippi State because Mississippi State, in terms of talent and depth and player development, relative to their own history, is peaking. Right. Like, literally, ever, as far as I know. Um, Just with as much experience in Mississippi as I have, there's never been a Mississippi State team, I think, this talented in terms of every position and depth and twos and all that. And then you have Joe Moorhead come in and have to – you know, assimilate himself to Dan Mullen players, all that stuff, Nick Fitzgerald, et cetera. Not exactly a thrower. Everyone's like, oh, you're going to get a Trace McSorley office. I'm like, no, no, you're not. You're not. Um, but he's still, I think, going to be highly successful with Fitzgerald. Yep. Ed Orgeron just gets this sort of blanket disregard because when Miles got fired, that wasn't a bad football team. No, it wasn't a great football team, but it definitely wasn't yeah. a bad one. Miles got fired for almost like non-talent on the field reasons, non-roster reasons, non-depth chart reasons. And I know a lot of LSU fans are going to – I'm not defending Les Miles. 
I'm sure fans can scream at me about like, Oh, well, he didn't do this with this guy. Or, you know, obviously there were position groups that never developed. And I, and I had coaches tell me for years that LSU was the only school in the country. This is pre Kirby smart. Um, I had two coaches tell me this and, and I've just sort of ironed the quotes together where LSU is the only team in the country that could recruit as well as Alabama, but you never saw Alabama results. And that's just player development. So I'm not saying miles was perfect, but like, it wasn't, you were getting a really nice used, like mid-level luxury, like a, a nice Lexus, right? I, I would push back a little and say he hit Bama level for a couple of years, but number one, one of them was, uh, was 2011 when he didn't beat Alabama the second uh. time. One was 20, uh, 2007 when they were the best team in the country. And I mean, you can pretend you, we can say, yeah, but they lost twice. They were lucky. You're like, well, sure. But they, you know, count the rings. Um, no. And I, and I look, I don't think you I should blame, you shouldn't blame or credit anybody for the dumb way in which we, we right. figured out our postseason. But I mean, I would say they hit that level a few times. The problem is they stopped hitting that level. They, they, yeah. they became merely really good after 2011. Standard deviations. That's, that's a crazy story, man. You literally had someone, statistically on paper only sort of fall off at least compared to the rest of college football. And they, you know, they treated it like it was a crime against the state down there again, not rightfully or wrongfully, you know, this is like the Tennessee debate on, you know, we, we didn't deserve Greg Sean or whatever. I'm not saying you had to deal with less miles. I know a lot of LSU fans and like his decision-making drives people insane. Yeah, it was he was a little crazy. I will say firing him and then replacing him in house was kind of Yeah. I, I love that story and I hope it ends up working out for him, but that was, you know, basically saying we're going to fire him. We've had 2 years to prepare for this moment and I'm going to look at two guys to replace right. him. That that's that's not the way you do this. Well, you know, if Tom Herman plays the the, the game a little different. Right. You know, the game outside of the game whatever, like I th- I think we're having a very different conversation. It's possible, but Ed Orgeron hasn't done anything wrong other than hire Matt Canada and right. either either micromanage him or not manage him enough, depending on who you talk to, right? <laughs> we just know that that relationship went south and we know that blame goes up. And so Orgeron takes more blame in that situation than Canada, regardless of whether or not he deserves it because he's the head coach. Right. So now you have an Ed Orgeron who hasn't really – I'm sorry? I- I was going to, Canada's like the one thing that bothered me about him hiring him and then meddling was just the fact that like he was a known entity. Everybody, it was very well known. It seemed that he was pretty hard to work with. And it was very well known that some of the aspects of his offense that made his offense so good were the shifts and things that Edo apparently didn't think was like manly enough and wanted to get rid of. Um, and that's, you, I mean, it seemed like both of those things surprised him and that shouldn't have been the way it was. Like, I, I think looking back, I realized he, he might not have gotten the job if he promised to just hire Steven Springer uh, as mm-hmm. his offensive coordinator, but the LSU offense that w- w- when Edo was interim head coach and in Springer was uh, the offensive coordinator, that was a really nice offense. Didn't couldn't, couldn't push Alabama around, but you know, just just omit Alabama from your decision making because it leads you to pretty bad places. Uh it was a pretty good offense. He should have just hired him originally. But But here's where here's why LSU has no one to blame with this, themselves. I think he hired Canada because he had to, not right. because he had to hire Matt Canada, right. but because because he went in and sold, hey, we're gonna get the highest caliber coordinators possible. It's gonna be a Dabo Sweeney thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm sure. The problem was he should have just had an, an Inzbinger, Inzbinger type guy who runs an offense that he likes, an offense that was effective when Inzbinger was calling the plays with 
not the best quarterback, right? Right. Not the most elite talent in terms of the battery of, of, um, you know, quarterback receivers, tight ends, et cetera. Like there's definitely some talent on the field, but not like, you know, the very top, they could have recruited to something different. They could have let Inzminger Inzminger would be in basically year three now, if they hadn't touched it, which I think, right. right. I mean, think about that. That would be very, it would be a very dynamic offense at this point. They would have recruited specifically to need and things that fit the system, but instead he goes out and he, so he, he's like, we're just going to get the flashiest free agent possible, right. regardless of fit or culture or any of that stuff. Now, why did he do that? He did that because he couldn't sell himself. Right. <laughs> he literally, based on the culture of college football, his history at Ole Miss, which I don't think is applicable to LSU anymore, and I'm the one with all of the personal experience there. And I, I do like to think in this one instance, when I say that, believe me, because <laughs> your experience doesn't trump mine and your knowledge base and far, as far as Ed Ogeron and, and Ole Miss doesn't trump mine. He's a different coach. I think he's a better coach. I think the time he spent and where he spent that time shows that he's in a much better place. Um, but he still had to do all this because it's really hard to sell Ed Orgeron to people, including Louisianans. That's the thing that still kind of boggles my mind. It's a bad PR situation to this day. And it's, is it fair to Ed? Nope. But, you know, we'll talk about Will Muschamp in a second. Like, Will's not a moron. I know he comes off as sort of like the, the beefy super bro guy and Coach Boom and all that stuff. But, like, none of these guys are morons. Ed Orgeron has a PR issue more than he has a football issue. It's not fair. It's not deserved, but that's the name of the game because of this. I think they overcompensated by saying we'll get elite coordinators. Now, Dave Aranda was in house. Dave Aranda is a great defensive coordinator. Dave Aranda was not recruited to work for Ed Orgeron, but give Dave Aranda credit. I guess he basically looked around and said, yeah, I can still work here. I can still totally work with this. Oh, and by the way, they're going to pay me a frick ton of money. Yeah. They're going to pay me like a head coach. Yeah. Yeah. So, had Orgeron either had the equity or the self-confidence, or maybe he wasn't just going to be allowed to do that. Maybe it wasn't equity. You know, maybe he had to go out. He really did truly have to say, Hey, here's a flashy OC. But imagine if he didn't imagine if he was like, Hey, we got Dave Aranda. We're going to stick with Steve Ainswinger. And then we're going to, we're going to invest other, we're going to, we're going to invest in other ways to sort of beef up the staff. Maybe it's recruiting or player personnel, whatever. Be a very different football team right now. Yeah, I still don't know if they'd have a quarterback situation we would be talking highly of, but it was, was Yeah, but they I, wouldn't but they wouldn't have as many question marks in my opinion, and they wouldn't have the additional scrutiny of what we just talked about, which right. was did he yeah, tinker no, I, with Canada? Did Canada refuse to listen to him? Doesn't matter. They should have never gotten married in the first place. Right. No, that was the biggest thing. The fact that he hired and I understand he might have had to, but that was the biggest red flag for me is just that he hired him and then didn't, didn't seem to understand what he had hired. Um, and that was bad. I mean, it held their, they still had a, their, their defense was young. It was extremely banged up, especially at linebacker. They still had a top 20 defense. Um, but their offense was just all over the place. It hit a nice rhythm for the most part. Again, if you omit the Alabama game anyway, cause the man ball stuff's never going to beat Alabama. Um, Georgia, even in the national title game, beat almost beat Alabama in part because they were completing a bunch of third and long passes. But, um, but they really, after that Troy loss, uh, they got by Florida. They beat out. They beat Auburn. They came back against Auburn, no less. Uh, they they you know laid waste to Ole Miss. They scored thirty three on Arkansas, thirty on Tennessee, forty five on A and M. That was they were playing kind of LSU football at that point, and that's how they ended the season. Now they, you know, they had that weird sloppy game against uh, Notre Dame that probably. I mean, you know how I feel about bowl games. I ignore them most of the time. They were fun, but I then when the next when it's time to go the next season, forget about them. Um, but they they were fine. They were they were fine to 
in, in that game and they were awesome most of the second half of the year. So things in that way, it was a very LSU season in terms of nine wins, top 20 level play, da, 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 da. but they finished the year at a higher level than that. And, and so you can, you can say that means that maybe they were starting to buy into everything Edo was selling. And now he just needed to get his own OC in place. And he did so. I wish he would. I wish neither he nor Insminger had said a word about their offense this entire offseason. So we get quotes like, you know, in May or whatever. Oh, we've installed 20% of our offense or whatever that was. That, that did not fill anybody with confidence, but it doesn't matter. Um, they were just saying those things. If they got a quarterback, they'll probably have a running game. They're going to have a very good defense. Uh, they're going to be a top 15 or 20 level team. It's just this year that's not going to be enough to win nine or 10 games, I don't think. <sighs> So basically what you've told LSU is more of the same, which is actually really good, very consistent building for the future. You're going to be will fine. Not, will not satisfy you in any way, shape, or form, and you're not going to beat Bama. Yes, uh, pretty much. I, I, <laughs> I was. I kind of laughed at myself as I was running the preview because it really was like, LSU's underrated. I don't know why we're so, why we're so low on them. I figure they'll go about seven and five this year, which is they have not hit. Oh. They have not won fewer than eight games since 1999. So I understand the the contradiction that's going uh, that's that's that, that's working at the moment, and I'm not really trying to fix it at all because I enjoy it. Eight games, definitely. By the way, I think is the is the floor. I think they got to win eight this year, or no, it's not know, the floor. Sharks, it's you're saying sharks. It's the. It's oh, the no, floor. I'm sorry, not the floor. Yeah. See again, Bill. I don't have robots sleep. Um, I think I think it's the line of demarcation. Okay, about gotcha. that, like bombs start going off when you go south of eight how's yeah. that and there i mean their schedule it really is going to be a close games thing i mean they're let's see they're projected i got them about three point underdogs against miami six points up on old miss three up on florida six down on georgia one up on mississippi state just so many close games here and and that's kind of terrifying when you don't know your quarterback situation but um but they're going to have a chance. They only have like really two games that they're almost certainly going to lose. Uh, any of the other ones are on the table. Bill season's creeping. Yep. You know what else might be creeping? Any guesses? Oh, I, well, I mean, we're reading an ad, so I know what you're going to say. I had my next response ready. God, spoiler alert. I mean, it could be your hairline. If you're a, uh, Already correct. if you're a young man or an old man or a middle-aged man, um, chances are that hairline's creeping on you, buddy. 66% of men lose their hair by the age of 35. Um, but you may be a lot younger. You may be ex experiencing that now. Um, the problem is when you start to notice the hair loss, it's already too late, it's mainly because with everything that's available on the market today, it's much, much easier to keep the hair that you have than to replace the hair that you've lost. Um, if the hairline is starting to creep back, you basically need to do something immediately. And one of the things that you can do immediately that's fast, easy, safe, effective, uh, and cost-friendly is to go to 4 Forhims.com, F-O-R-H-I-M-S.com. It's a one-stop shop for hair loss. They also do skin care. They do sexual wellness stuff for men. Um, it's fast. It's convenient. It's also confidential. This isn't a weird truck stop thing where you grab some pills from behind the counter. It's not something that's like a dubious corner of the internet. They use doctors. You're going to speak to medical professionals. They're going to give you generic equivalents to name brand prescription items. So this is all on the up and up. Uh, and the best part is you don't go to a waiting room. You don't have to go and actually talk uh, and make an appointment and you don't have to go to a pharmacy, which are all huge pains. So you go to 4 you take a couple quick surveys. It's very easy. You answer a couple quick questions. A doctor's going to review that information then they will prescribe 
products you need for you. They're shipped directly to your door. You get to take care of it fast. You get to take care of it confidentially. Um, if you order now, right now, you, Podcasting Play Nobody listener, you get a trial month of 4 hymns for just $5 while supplies last. So you can go to 4 for all the specific details. This would cost a lot more than $5, hundreds of dollars. If you went through the normal medical route of going and seeing a doctor and going to a pharmacy. So go to 4 slash nobody. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash nobody. 4 com slash nobody. I'm Charlie Hall. And I'm Dave Tack. We're the hosts of Polygon's Quality Control. Our show is a lot of things to a lot of people. It's our chance to talk about the best new video games with the folks who play them first. It's a place to dissect the latest movies and TV shows. It's our opportunity to get out from behind the keyboard and tell you what we think. In person, every week. The world of entertainment moves fast. Quality Control helps you keep pace. Find us for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Okay, so Auburn is yeah. a football team. Um, Very good one. That is in Alabama. That if it was just a football team that we were talking about, if we were just talking about the college football team, the the team teams, like literally the the blandest mascot in the world that you could create, uh, we would we would be blown away and really impressed by this team. Um, but we're not because <laughs> are because they are sandwiched between those other two schools. Yep. Um, their in-state rival and their next-door rival, their oldest rival, whatever. <sighs> Bill, I yep. want I want to attempt this conversation about Auburn to only be about Auburn. Okay. Is this possible? Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in my preview uh, that went up this morning, I basically said like only in in an environment in which you have to in which you include Nick Saban can you can you really negatively grade Will Muschamp in any way. Uh, you know, he has, he now has an sec title. He has two division titles in five years. And by the way, the, in the comment section on my Auburn preview at SB nation, um, I, I, I encourage you to go check it out and see that Bama fans are never, ever anything less than Bama fans. Cause I mentioned that he has two sec West titles and that he won an sec title and all that. Um, there was a Bama fan in the comment section tutting me for not saying he had to, he shared those titles with Alabama. They tied in the division you see. Uh, and, and I should have mentioned that. Um, that's amazing. I, I like, I, that, that made my heart kind of skip a beat for a second seeing that. Cause I mean that you are never off. If you're Alabama, you have to claim every title at every level at every, po- in every possible way at all times. <laughs> and it is just beautiful. Anyway, that was a lot about Alabama, Auburn, I feel like this. Is I forget. I will say this. I forgot that Johnson and Petway are both gone. Yes, but Cam Martin is back. Um, he well, he, he was basically against the good teams. He was basically the same. He ended up with a much better per carry average because he torched two of the lesser teams uh, for a lot of like Chattanooga and whoever else. Um, mm. So, but he, but he still like he played at the level of Johnson and Petway. Now Johnson and Petway probably should have achieved a little higher, but they were seemed like they were both hurt all year. But um, I, as long as Martin is healthy, I think they'll be okay at running back. After Martin, you start to – I mean, obviously there are a lot of candidates, but uh, there are pretty much no known quantities at that point after that. So you really need Martin to stay healthy. Um, and meanwhile, they've already lost two receivers, or at least they lost them in the spring, Will Hastings and Eli Stove. Uh, Stove is very, very underrated, by the way. Um, they both tore their ACLs in the spring, and they're going to probably be back, but maybe not until midseason. 
Um, but they still have Ryan Davis and Darius Slayton in the receiving core. Slayton's awesome. He's wonderfully all or nothing. I love the guys who had, let's see, he averaged 22 yards a catch with a 39% catch rate. So basically go deep. This will work one out of every three times. Uh-huh. Um, but they've got Nate Craig Myers. They got a, you know, the requisite, you know, metric ton of four stars on, you know, freshmen and whatnot. Um, so I really think, I mean, this is going to be a really fun passing game, really a solid offense overall. I don't think the running game will suffer, but I can't prove it basically. I mean, they, last year they won the SEC West with two injured running backs. So, uh, Martin's better than them if he's healthy, at least, or better, better Martin's better than the injured versions of the two guys last year, I should say to hell with the existential dread. Uh, I mean, I'm not going back to the joke, but like, this is a team that if they beat Washington and Atlanta, which is sort of the home game crowd, right. 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 Um, and your win probability is at 47%, which is beautiful. That's my game to watch in week one, like not even close. Yeah. Um, hey, we're going to be in Atlanta that day, by the way. Well, I'm not paying for a ticket. Um, <laughs> they beat Washington and Atlanta. They could be undefeated going into Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Their schedules just, and, as and by the way, I'm sorry. Let, let me, let me say that in a way that, that makes you more impressed. They play Georgia November 10th. Right. Like they yeah, could be nine and oh, they could cruise. Well, I mean, they still have to win at Mississippi State, so let's not say cruise, but I they mean, could absolutely. I, you know, the thing cruise. is, you know what? You're totally right, and we're going to get to State in just a second. Like, that's the one. That's the one stumbling block. It's, so, it's, yeah, not, it's certainly not at Ole Miss. It's not home against LSU. It's certainly not Arkansas. Um, oh, the other thing I want to mention, um, Kevin Steele's a good defense coordinator. I don't know. Good at Auburn. I don't know. I like how this wasn't supposed to happen. I know. I, I, I mean, and they're really deep. The moment, that was the moment. They're really like talented. We were yeah. like, man, and now Gus Malzahn's got to save his job and he hired Kevin Steele. What the hell? Oh, yeah. I, I'm sure. I'm sure if you go back and listen to the show, I was saying how that could be the, that could be the hire that dooms yeah. his entire career. He's really good. They recruited really well on defense. They're deep as hell on defense. Um, dude, this is, again, if you take the Auburn name off, I'm looking at, you look at the defense, you're like, that's a national title contender. Yeah, I think um, the one thing about Kevin Steele's defense that I can, you know, it, it, sometimes it's hard to evaluate. Like, what do, what do they do? What makes them so good? Part of it is just having a ton of four and five star recruits at your disposal. But I, the one thing I picked up on last year, and I, I briefly mentioned this in the preview, is that one thing that really impressed me with about Auburn's defense is they dic- when they're playing against the, like the RPO type systems, they dictate your reads really well. And what, what happens when that, you know, you, you obviously don't specifically know the play call or if it's if you're watching live, right. not, not even Chris Collinsworth picks up on what's on RPO. And sometimes it just feels like that was the play they called. And so you're watching Auburn, Alabama. You're like, why do they keep calling the quarterback sneak? Or, you know, why is Jalen Hurts always running the ball? It's because that's what he was reading. That's what the defense was telling him to do based on the reads he was making. And Drew Lockett in the Missouri game was the same way. Like he, he just they take you, they, they've done as good a job as anybody I've seen at basically forcing you to read specific the things you don't want to read. Um, and that's hard to do. And they've done a really nice job of it. And I'm not trying to rob anything from steel. Again, I, we were, I was wrong. A lot of people were wrong. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of that comes from the offense that you see every day. Yeah, possibly. When you talk about the origin of RPO option motion, yeah, pretty much any, any one of those fundamentals that's now incorporated into damn near every offense in the country. I mean, Malzahn's fingerprints are in most of that. And so therefore, if you're a defensive coordinator, it pays to, it's funny. It like the more, the, the more the Auburn or the Malzahn system stuff became ubiquitous, 
probably the better that was for Auburn's defense. Possibly, yeah. I mean, the, who was strange? Before, who was before him? Chizik? Was that? Was that? No. Who was? I'm blanking on the uh, the Muschamp. coordinator. Well, that's right. Yeah, and I mean, Muschamp's year there wasn't all that impressive. Like they got much, much better with Steele after going from from Muschamp to Steele, and that's mm-hmm. mind blowing. So I mean, part of it is like him utilizing what he had better than Muschamp did, but he he really did. I, I could not be more impressed, and it was impossible to get excited about that hire two years ago. And he's just done a great job. All right, Bill, start talking about Mississippi State. Just start okay. talking about him. So there's this guy named Joe Moorhead. Oh, do you hear that? Do you hear that? I don't know. I think uh, our our little baby cowbell's in the other room, so I couldn't compare. This thing, this thing, it it really is just, I got the Cadillac and cowbells. So oftentimes I'll say so-and-so is my favorite PAPN listener because they ask a good question. I don't care if you're witty anymore. You can just ply me with gifts. You can buy my love. Because that's what's happened. I made a joke about not having a cowbell. Mm-hmm. And it is Mississippi State tradition to give people cowbells to gift them. I learned this tradition because when I was a student reporter covering Ole Miss, at Ole Miss, um, the athletic director at the time was a guy named Pete Boone, and he had a cowbell that was given to him by the athletic director at the time, Larry Templeton, at Mississippi State. And I always thought that was really weird, you know, that the AD at Ole Miss would – and then he displayed it very prominently mm-hmm. in his office. And so, you know, sure enough, the same thing happened to me. Um, I asked, what was it? How long ago was it? A month? Not very long. It did not take you long at all to get that cowbell into your hands. Um, username, I, I'm going to go full on Twitter promotion. I don't think he's really trying to hawk anything on his Twitter. But um, our, our buddy Trill Bowerman, that's in his uh, username is actually different on Twitter. It's MW underscore Boone, B-O-O-N-E. Uh, Trill Bowerman, our buddy my friend and yours, uh, he had a brand new cowbell sent to me. I mean, this thing is substantial. So it's a, it's a big one. It has the proper handle on it. Like the handle, like, like, like the grip that you would have on like a, a garden tool or something like that <laughs> uh, with the massive cowbell. And then it has the brand new um, like vinyl thing on the side. And it's, it says more cowbell, of course, to play on Joe Moorhead with the Mississippi state logo only beef. My only beef, it's nothing Trill could have helped, is that I'm a massive fan of the Mississippi State Nike logo. And I know a lot of people right now don't know what I'm talking about, but it's the diagonal MSU, that, and they interlock with each other. It used to be on their helmets when they were in Nike school. Now they have the big blocky like Michigan M, and then just the word state in a banner across it. I've never liked it. Um, tell you what we do like on this show, segue, 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 is Joe Moorhead. Mm-hmm. Um this is the best Mississippi State team I've seen in my lifetime. On paper. This is <laughs> on paper right now, yes. Um, had Dan Mullen stayed just because of consistency of system development, et cetera, I really think this team could have could have finally taken the right kind of swing at Alabama. Yeah, they not just in the game, not just in the game, but I mean like in the division. And they timed it poorly because this is coming up in a year where they have to go at LSU and at Alabama. Uh, now it's never right. going to be completely well-timed because in the other years you got to go to Auburn. But um, Oh, and you lost your coach to another school in the conference. So, sure. I mean, yeah, not great timing. But it, it really is. Um, I, you know, the, I wrote in my Joe Moorhead uh, feature over the summer, and then I wrote it again in the preview that, that Mullen kind of – it's it, after this year, there's going to be a reset, especially on defense. So we have to keep that in mind. I mean, this is kind of your, your chance to buy, to, to kind of earn a bunch of equity and then spend some of it next year, probably. But, um, 
Mullen left him with a stocked two deep. And then he also very clearly left him with a path for outdoing him at at Mm -hmm. Mississippi state, because as good as he was as many times as he won numbers of games that Mississippi state doesn't usually win. um, He, I think, I think he only once was over 500 in conference play. Um, only once kind of crept towards, top, I think, top 15 overall. Like, there's a path here, and and they really do. They have to play at Alabama, you know, Egg Bowls in Oxford, and that's always weird. Got to go to Baton Rouge. Got to go to Kansas State early in the year. Like, there's no, there's nothing saying this is the year they go 11-1 and one, with or without Mullen. But it's on the table because they've got Nick, Nick Fitzgerald at quarterback, and uh, we learned that his backup was pretty good, too, Um you know, outplaying Lamar Jackson in the bowl game. He, he's got Harris Williams at, uh, at running back. Every other running back is also back. Um, he does lose Donald Gray and Jordan Thomas in the passing game, but he's got uh, like everybody else is back. And that includes, well, I was going to say it includes a, a couple of the guys who were big play threats. Their biggest issue was last year is they had no big play threats, um, but they've got a lot of potential here. And that's an area where Joe Moorhead's tactics can catch you up because they didn't really have any easy scores. If you get a couple more big plays per game, you get Bob Shoup's now working with the best defensive line he's ever had. This is the most talented defense Bob Shoup's ever had. Yeah. And, and I think he knows it. Um, and he was recruiting what would become an as talented, maybe if not better defense that was last year's Penn state defense, mm-hmm. but, and he helped put that together with James right. Franklin and those guys and everything. But like, he wasn't there for it. This is he's he's here. It's, it's, this it's honestly ready. might be the best defensive line in the country outside of Clemson's. Um, it is dynamite. And uh, you've got, Leo, you've got this guy named Leo Lewis, a, a linebacker. I don't know if you've heard of him, mm-hmm. uh, but in the secondary, uh, they lose a couple of safeties, but they get a couple of safeties back. Mark Lawrence. Awesome. Um, they got a couple, they're, they're experienced at least they're more experienced at cornerback. They really kind of got it all here and yeah. um, they're projected. So they're projected 14th in S and P plus. Now here's how that breaks out. They're 11th on defense, which would not be out of line for a shoot defense uh, at Tennessee, ignoring Tennessee. Cause that was a nightmare in 38 different ways, but that's about what he was achieving at Penn state. Uh, their offense is only projected 33rd. Um, but you know, just because it did kind of, you know, they, they weren't explosive last year. Then, you know, the first game with Fitzgerald hurt, you know, when Thompson had to come in early in the old miss game, they're terrible. Um, so that dragged them down a little bit, but if you think that a Joe Moorhead offense that he can make the difference and, and bump that up into like the top 20 level offensively, that's a top 10 team at Mississippi state. Um, they're that close. They're all, all, if he can just lead them, if he can get out of the defense's way, if Shoup can kind of guide that defense towards what it would have probably achieved with Grantham and, and Mullen, uh, and if he can make a little bit of an extra difference on offense, that's a top 10 team right there. There's so many things in a non-football sense that you can talk about here, and, and they're all positive, potentially, <laughs> for Mississippi State. And I, you've never been able to say that about this program. One, you don't have to bother with the in-state thing anymore, and that's what Joe Moorhead brings in. Is He's a coach that is not going to survive and create a safety net around building – acrimony and that rivalry because I really don't I really think he just doesn't care he also <laughs> doesn't he doesn't need to for the time being because old Mrs. Bolvan ends this year but the pain that they're gonna feel from the sanctions won't even really start until next year right this is a chance this is a chance to change the conversation and not make it about the in-state rivalry which has done nothing but harm for both schools <laughs> this is a chance for Mississippi State 
to, to hell with, Oh, it's one good coach down there. It's Tim Tebow's offensive coordinator. We heard that for years, right? Mm-hmm. This is a guy who's recruiting better than Dan Mullen. This is a guy who is as much of a, uh, you know, a celebrated offensive mind as Dan Mullen was, especially in that moment when he came over from Florida, this is proof that your program can provide the landscape for which, you, you know, you can, you can thrive. You can compete in the SEC West, which is the hardest division in college football. All of this is just right there sitting for Mississippi State. <laughs> and it's not to put any pressure on Moorhead because I, don't, I really don't think it he's coming though. in. I know, but I mean, it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. And inevitably, you know, they're not going undefeated this year, but they're going to be really damn good. And the first time somebody second guesses him, it'll probably be for the wrong reasons. Well, yeah. That's totally how it works. This guy could really do something dynamic and different and just fresh at that program. And so you have nothing but reasons to be excited. Yeah. Don't screw it up. (laughs) I'm telling you this as someone who just spent a year and a half of his life covering that scandal. Don't, don't tie any of this to anything to do with Mississippi. By the way, the backdrop is that the recruiting, uh, the recruiting in 20, in the 2019 cycle, in that state is like astronomical. Yeah, I've been told multiple times it's the best that the state has ever seen for a single class. Just put one foot in front of the other and you'll be highly <laughs> successful. Don't screw it up, Mississippi State. I, I know everybody's waiting for a joke there. I really, I don't have a joke. Like, I think Moorhead's awesome. I think Shoop's awesome. They're great people. Like, this is going to be, we've said this on the show all summer, this is going to be one of the teams that I am going to make a point to watch Yep. Every single week. No, okay. One thing we can talk about. Nick Fitzgerald <laughs> yeah. is not going to be Trace McSorley, and that's okay. Yeah. It really is. They're going to work on what makes him work most efficiently. And so, yeah, it's going to be more run-based. I mean, the dude ran a triple option in high school. It's just going to be. But the the reads and the wrinkles and and the amount of decision-making that I think he can entrust Fitzgerald with, because Nick's a smart guy, I think you can see something that's going to look different and more dynamic, but it's just, it, it's not necessarily going to be, I mean, Trace McSorley can just wing a football, right. you know, 40, 50 yards on a dime, like, and, and, you know, barely use his elbow. He's just, yeah. that, that's his skill set. I'm really curious what, um, cause I mean, like, like I was just saying about Auburn, the way you uh, kind of adapt to an RPO system is, uh, is trying to dictate the reads the quarterback makes. And so last year, you know, that meant less of Saquon. It meant he, you know, is more less, it was less of the big play stuff. He had to run. I think he had to run the ball a little bit more himself, which you don't want Nick Fitzgerald to do. If you're the defense, you want to get the ball out of his hands. But if we find out that basically they're trying to re- force him to pass the ball, which I, which makes the most sense with considering the skill sets, if they're trying to force him uh, to read pass. Can he hit some of the vertical shots that he'll be, you know, that he'll be seen, or will they try to build in a little bit more of a horizontal kind of system, a little more, you know, bubble screens to, you know, off of the run and whatnot to try to get the ball out of the, you know, out of the tackle box, but not downfield that that's not really his strength. So I'm really curious if he can hit those vertical shots that he'll probably have a chance to hit. And if he doesn't, what do they do uh, to respond to that? It's kind of a pleasant walk through the angsty part of the SEC. I wouldn't throw state in there. It's definitely the LSU Auburn. And then now I think Florida triumvirate, but like, you know, I'm sure things won't be completely batshit no, in, in a month and a half in the SEC. 
No, I, I mean, I, we've said this before, but the two games I'm absolutely looking forward to the most in week one, be just for, because of narrative potential are Auburn, Washington and LSU, Miami, all four of those teams I am extremely interested in. And we yeah. get this huge answer. I mean, not a definitive answer. You're, I mean, obviously we, we overreact to week one and then we find out teams are different, but it, the, the, you know, a loss for any of those teams means a lot. Uh, not, you know, in addition to all the questions, we might start to get answered about them. So I'm, I'm really excited about those two games. Yeah. It's, it's far and away. And, and I hate to reinforce the, I don't know, need, but push to have these neutral site games. But um, yeah, there's just, it's, this isn't a backhanded joke about Notre Dame, Michigan, that that's an important game. It's a good game, et cetera. And I'm super yep. glad it's on campus. Somebody was asking us about that. They're like, Oh man, don't you find it funny that God has to cape for that? I don't care for that at all. Like a college game day made the 110% right decision. Okay. Um, I I've interviewed those guys before for stories and uh, Lee fitting the executive producer, kind of the maestro behind that whole program. Mm-hmm. It's gotta be exhausting. How many years in a row, Bill? I mean, it's at least the last four that I can think of did they start in a parking lot in either Atlanta or Dallas yeah it sucks man one year I know that they had it they had a Dallas kickoff game with Alabama and they went over to Fort Worth to the stockyards which is way the hell away from Arlington and AT&T Stadium but it was just to create something a little bit more dynamic and interesting and and I don't know like college football-ish yeah um and and I think if, if I recall it may like you know TCU of course being quick to the punch Chris Del Conte is a great athletic director who was there at the time. They like sent the TCU cheerleaders out. It like basically looked like they were doing game day at TCU. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go to Notre Dame, Michigan, man, like to hell with these parking lots. And by the way, I, the, one of the more PAPN things in the last couple of weeks, like I made, it made me viscerally angry. I saw the tweet from McMurphy or whoever was saying that uh, in 20, I think it was 2022 and 23, um, FSU and LSU are playing each other in, in a two game. Oh. I see that. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Home and home, home and home. Don't say it's neutral. Don't say it's neutral. And they're playing in Orlando and new Orleans. Like you have, you have the dope and you've got death Valley and you're playing in Orlando. That just, Oh, that was the, multiple was, people responded back to me. They're like, well, you know it. And they were like telling Falcons jokes. Like I won't admit it. They're like, you know, that a college football game, in the Superdome is really fun. I'm like it is it is different than the other NFL sites because of the way that the dome is positioned strategically in new Orleans and that like you can be, you can be running around bars, restaurants and sort of walk over to the dome more or less. And it's a great environment atmosphere. All is totally great. It's not tiger stadium, man. It's not even close. Tiger stadium is one of the greatest sporting event venues in the world to hell with college football. Put your game there, man. Yeah. Uh, Doke at Florida state, they've spent so much money. Uh, over the last couple of years, just increasing the quality of that game day experience. I was just there, writing a piece on Taggart for Labor Day. Spoiler alert! Like, it's that that I was really, really impressed with that facility too. I have never been. I I, I went to Tallahassee when I was a kid, so it had been like twenty something years. Um, I have never done a, I've never done an FSU home game, mainly because we had Bud Elliott on staff. And anytime there was a big FSU home game, Bud would cover it for us. So, um. I don't know, man. Like, there's just no way to sell it. I understand. I understand why it's happening, and I hate that we're grinding the show to a halt again to complain about neutral sites. But God, think about how cool Labor Day yeah. night. Either one of those. I mean, you're going to see it on this Labor Day when Virginia Tech plays Florida State. Replace Virginia Tech. No offense, Hokies. 
with LSU and then put the return game or however it falls, vice versa, whatever, in freaking Baton Rouge. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's it's, it's absolutely maddening. Sucks so bad, man. I don't even have anything funny to say about it. It just <laughs> sucks. Um, last thing on the agenda, at least before we get out of here, uh, before we, we – recon- we're actually going to reconvene pretty shortly in the interim to record the weird show for this week. Um, I, I wrote it a thing, which is totally common for Bill because he writes a thing every day. But um, I wrote it a thing about, uh, well, Muschamp in South Carolina. Go read it. Um, I don't want to – got to figure out how to do this as I recommit to the blogging culture where I don't just like relitigate my argument on a <laughs> podcast. However, I do need to direct everyone who listens to this podcast to go click the thing. So I don't know how we're going to do this. Um, yeah, Will Muschamp had a bunch of comments on Saturday. He did. Um, he did. He obviously has a very close relationship with DJ Dirk and the head coach at Maryland who's currently suspended because on Friday, um, he was suspended. At, it really, There was already an internal investigation going on because last week I remember we were writing a coach thing. I was writing a coach thing with Bud and I said, hey, that investigation's they're they're concluding in september so watch out something can happen here espn had an investigative piece about the culture at maryland durkin goes on suspension uh and then on saturday muschamp who durkin worked for for four years um comes out and just capes for durkin completely um uh, which you know when i say it like that may does maybe it doesn't really convey how bad it was it was bad um i don't even know if like i mean they, they started talking about the logistics of how to motivate kids or whatever. I mean, you kind of have to when a kid's dead. And I repeat that when a college football player dies as part of a, you know, I know it wasn't a practice, but a organized team workout, whatever you want to call it. When he dies because of that on your watch as a college football coach, if you're commenting about this situation, regardless of who the hell you're friends with, um, you need to mention the deceased first. It's common. Yeah. I'm not really trying to like, uh, this isn't Emily post y'all like, this is just, it's, it's basic human empathy. But so not only does he not do that, he sort of goes hard in the direction of, of caping for Dirk and, and, and then attacks the media. And I want to downplay that part Bill, because I don't really give a shit. Um, we get attacked all the time. I can pull up my Twitter right now as we record <laughs> this and, and watch my, uh, Oh, yep. There, yeah. Okay. Someone's always attacking the media. I don't care about that. We come off as way too noble anyway. All right. We just do. And we're by and large, rank and file, bad at our jobs. At least bad at our jobs in 2018. <laughs> I'm I'm someone who when people are like, Man, you work in the media, they suck. I'm usually like, Yeah, right on, bro. Throw me a bud light. Um the issue here is that Muschamp went directly about the business of defending his former colleague. And that that's the thing right there, Bill. That's the, that's the crux of the thing, the core of the thing. And that's what you're seeing at Ohio state. And that's what you're seeing at other schools is that they all close ranks and protect each other. And they don't think about the well-being of those who are literally less fortunate and literally without the same sort of power and agency mm-hmm. as them. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand how coaches, operate and i understand how much loyalty plays a role uh they really i mean i know this isn't i'm not approving of this uh, comparison but they compare themselves it it really does reflect like it's like a band of brothers kind of uh you know we we served together kind of thing and i understand that that's whether it should or not that's how it works so the fact that you know durkin is one of his you know servicemen or whatever he wants to support him and that's fine but he went out of his way when a kid died, 
to change the subject to anonymous sources. And that's just, it's grow. It's, it's, it, it was an amazingly unforced error. He didn't have to say a word. He went out of his way to bring it up and he went out of his way to bring it up so he could complain about anonymous sources. And that's, uh, I, I, whatever. I, I really, it really was disgusting. It really was, um, I, I realize we start to get into high and mighty language here, but it, it was, this was the, the epitome of an unforced error. He didn't need to say a word. And then when he did, he said all the wrong words. Um, South Carolina, the football team. Yeah. Will, what are you doing? You guys were, you guys are fine. You're building, you're in a tough situation. Just like you're sort of a mini Auburn in some respects, except without the, I think without maybe the, Psychotic expectation, or the, or, I don't the know. The defense, but anyway. Yo, uh, I meant more the fact that you were sort of in a pincer between Clemson and Georgia. <laughs> yeah. But damn, Bill. Uh, but you're but up until last week. If somebody said, "Hey, what do you think of South Carolina?" I'd be like, "Yeah, I think he's shit." shit. We just talked about this in the show. I know. I know that was like the the was that two weeks ago? He was no. It was the first show last week. He was the face of that show. This is, here's where we find out if Muschamp has evolved. And <laughs> first sign, signs point to not so much. But anyway. I was the one who I, I, I don't never listen to our own show. Sorry. But like, I was the one who kept arguing back to you. Hey, he's learned he's evolving. And this has nothing to do with what we'll see on the field, obviously, but right. But you, but I, I wrote this in the piece. I don't know if it made it to the editor or not. This is one of the greatest unforced errors I've ever seen no, in college football. It's unbelievable. You just brought a conversation about a heinous thing happening, an investigation, the whole toxic culture thing, the investigation by ESPN about in Maryland, <laughs> Not a division, not a division rival, not a neighbor, not even someone in your conference and not even a school that matters in the top 25 about freaking Maryland. And you brought it home and turned it into your own problem. Yeah. What are you doing? And then then the, the, who was it? The South, was it the president, the chancellor, whoever it was um, going out of his way to stump for Moorhead as well. Like that's, I mean, Moorhead, (laughs) sorry, Muschamp as well. Um, I mean, whatever i'm getting a lot of flack right now as i write this but you know i basically said hey look this invites us us being not the media but just a normal human being to go man what's going on with the player treatment in south carolina if these are the comments that he's making right what are you implying what are you implying i'm implying nothing the idiot brought it on himself (laughs) the idiot started immediately talking about how it was the media's fault that's this is the problem. This is why media training exists. And the funny <laughs> thing is, is the athletic director at South Carolina, there's several of them, several in the 80s office that are former SIDs. There's several people in the athletic administration at South Carolina who actually, and I'm sure because a lot of them came from like the league office and stuff, and they don't like me. <laughs> or I mean, like they, you know, they would have an issue with SB Nation or new media culture, or whatever. They know what I'm talking about right now, though. Because it's PR 101. It's basic corporate communications. They teach us in every crisis management class in the world. And they would agree with me way, way off the record, (laughs) way, way, way anonymously, that he literally said, hey, guys, look, a landmine. I'm going to stick my tongue on it. And when it goes off, you're all going to have to clean it up. (laughs) Regardless of whatever anyone says publicly about Will Muschamp at South Carolina right now, trust me, they are pissed that he brought this to their door. Yeah. Um. Quietest offseason ever. What's our timer at right now? Quietest offseason ever. Uh, We're good. We're out. Awesome.
we are out. Um, we will see you guys again on Thursday. We have an interview coming up. Uh, we will play around a little bit as we get inch ever closer to week zero is soon. Yeah. Week and a half. Right. So a week and a half from week zero. Uh, in the meantime, we will buttress what will ultimately become sort of the preview what to watch uh, episode um, with a heap and helping of user questions. Again, that's Reddit PAPN or hashtag ask PAPN on Twitter. Anything to add? My- uh, yeah. If you're, if you're looking for a reason to check out the Reddit page well, as well, it's not just ask PAPN questions. Somebody after having Kelly, Kevin Kelly on last week, coach never punts. Um, somebody put together a tableau uh, viz with, of the teams that go for it the most uh, at the college level. Uh, by the way, congrats to army for having big balls. Uh, they're, uh, they got it. It's triple option. So it's one every time, but Damn uh, right. they, they go for it more than anybody else. And congrats for that. All right. We'll see you guys Thursday.